Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes on this scorcher of a summer day here in Seattle. Sort of uncharacteristic. Well, I guess maybe not of July. Makes me nervous, though. Please be careful with your hot dogs out there. Don't be leaving anybody in the car or walking anybody on hot pavement. Don't put too much mustard on them. That's right. (laughs) Oh, Um, Beautiful, though. Maybe, um, you know, early morning or later in the evening, great time to walk your dog in this kind of heat. Absolutely. That's what I've been doing with Abby the Beagle. We go out like around nine o'clock at night. We still got daylight, but it's a lot more relaxed, a lot cooler, a lot less busy on the streets, too. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, today I'm going to play one of my favorite interviews um, of, gosh, I think we've had... 280 episodes or something like that. And um, so I've had some favorites over the years and I'm going to play um, after this intro um, my interview with um, Shauna, who is is a new trainer. And um, it was a really interesting conversation because she's brand new, just got her sort of quote unquote certification but there's really no regulation for this industry. And she was sharing with me how she really still feels unprepared to do the work. And so I invited her to come onto the show and ask me all the questions that she had about um, doing this work and working with dogs. And it was a great conversation. So we're going to play that. But I did want to um, give you some updated events coming up uh, as we have some big ones. Um, this Sunday... Old Dog Haven's Walk for Old Dogs is um, this Sunday, July 20th, from noon to 3 p.m. It is supposed to cool down a little bit, so it'll be easier on the dogs this weekend. It's in Bellevue Downtown Park, and um, it's uh, Walk for Old Dogs and Old Dog Pageant. Old dogs, young dogs, and people of all ages are welcome. You can... um, create a team or join a team, um, sign up as an individual or sponsor your favorite team. And to register or to get more information, go to, you can either go to their website, olddoghaven.org or um, odhwalkforolddogs.org. And it's a great event. We're going to bring Lois, who is our Old Dog Haven um, foster dog right now, who we are... um, taking care of and we got her from the shelter a couple months ago now and um, she's lost she came to us needing to lose some weight and she has lost I think four and a half pounds and we've been feeding her natural pet pantries cooked stew they've been kind enough to donate Lois's food and um, it's not easy to get weight off of an older dog and um, it's just not only giving her awesome nutrition but also taking that weight off and she's doing great so we are going to bring Lois to the Walk for Old Dogs. We'll probably bring my dachshund, Leia, because she is 12 years old as well, and maybe one of our younger dogs, too. But it'll be fun. So come down to that this Sunday, July 20th, Bellevue Downtown Park from 12 to 3 p.m., Old Dog Haven's Walk for Old Dogs, and have a wonderful week and enjoy my interview with Shauna Gallagher. Well, um, have a, a guest with us, Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of Pet Coach to the Rescue, Shauna is a new trainer who emailed me. Uh, we have a mutual friend, and uh, she emailed me. And um, I think, Shauna, were you just sort of interested in maybe asking me some questions about 
training in general. And I said, hey, do you want to come on the show? <laughs> and you're like, you are so such a good sport about it because you were like, OK. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for being here today. I think that this is going to be um, a really actually really interesting and informative conversation for people who are listening, coming from someone who's who's new at training and who has gone through a certain path to get to where you are where you're ready to start seeing clients and um, and then to just have our conversation. So welcome. Thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah. Um, so you are up in the Everett area? Yes. And you do private lessons or group classes? Right now, just private lessons. And do you go to people's houses? Yes. Okay. Now, you sent me an email with some questions, um, kind of a little overview and um, now what you did, Shauna, is you went through, um, was it the called the Animal Behavior College? Correct. Okay. And you did a um, like a certification program through them. That is correct. It took me about a year and a half. Okay. And it was uh, like an online course? Yes. With some um, mentoring at the very end? Correct. Okay. Where you observed? Gr- yes. Group classes. Group classes. It was mostly observing. Okay. And um, so here you are, just starting, fresh out of the box. Yes. <laughs> and um, so what's there for you to ask? So, okay, so to give people, just assume people know, uh, if you're new, a new listener. So um, we've I've had this radio show for over four years. I'm the owner of Sensitive Dog. I've been doing dog training and behavior consultation for about 12 years. Um uh, private lessons in the greater Seattle area. So it's sort of new trainer and I wouldn't say old by any means, but um, someone who's not new. Um, so Shauna, what's there for you, you know, as you're starting out, are there any burning questions you'd like to start with? Mostly just different kind of tools that you use mm-hmm. um, in training the dogs and um, getting them to do what you're asking them to do. Mm. All right. Great question. <laughs> So what tools, and this is something that I've been, um, so I have noticed over the past 12 or so years how, I mean, I have evolved a ton. You know, it's, it's a, I've never, I never stop learning. Dogs never cease to surprise me. Um, it doesn't happen very often anymore, but it definitely still happens. And I still am very open to being surprised. Um, uh, so with tools, you know, I keep trying to, when we're talking about training or working with behavior, in a lot of cases, what we're talking about is communicating with the dog, right? Communicating with the dog and, and educating the dog. So if we are communicating and educating an animal, whose language should we speak? Ours or theirs? We need to speak theirs. Right. Makes sense. Does. When I was in college, um, I have a degree in animal science from the University of Vermont. When I was in college, I was taking one of many chemistry classes. And one of my TAs was, um, I think, from from Japan um, and had a thick, thick, thick accent. And this person was supposed to be teaching me chemistry. 
And I could hardly understand, you know, the words, let alone grasp the concepts that were new to me also. And it was really stressful for me because I was going to be being graded on what I learned and I could hardly understand the teacher. So it's sort of an example of speaking the student's language, you know, the student's first language, if you're trying to introduce a new concept or trying to educate. So with dogs, what what would you say is a dog's language? A lot of it has to do with the body language mm-hmm. and stuff on our body language and understanding their body language. So being aware of ourselves and our body language and also um, knowing how to read them. And, I, and body language, if we take that a level deeper, is actually, uh, from what I say and what I believe is that it's a a way that we show or a way that the quality of energy that we're generating manifests. So if you're assertive, you're going to hold your body a certain way. You're going to have a certain tension in your muscles in certain areas. If you're happy, you're going to move in a certain way. So it's 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 so energetic. And you mentioned this before. Um, so Shauna has worked with um, Shauna's had experience outside of training for years. That was very, um, you know, you've done a lot of fostering over the years of lots of different dogs and uh, volunteered or worked at a shelter. I've actually been volunteering at the Everett Animal Shelter for a little over three years now. Okay. And fostering dogs. And so you've had a lot of opportunity to hang with dogs and kind of get to know dogs and get to know different dogs because every dog is different. But, you know, body language, it's like if you move your body in a certain way, it's not necessarily going to translate effectively if you're not energetically connected to what it is you're communicating. So it's not just about going through motions physically and moving your body in a certain way. It's about being that way that lines up and actually creates the body language. Mm -hmm. So then we're talking about presence, energy, how you, you know, I mean, that's kind of like the, really the juice of it. And dogs are so perceptive about that. I mean, you can't fool a dog, right? No, you can try to act confident, but if you're not, the dog's going to know, especially if it's a, you know, uh, a dog that really wants you to prove it. Mm-hmm. So back to your question, training tools. Well, I like to try to model what I do after how dogs communicate naturally with each other and they don't use tools. Mm-hmm. So, yes, tools can be helpful for sure. I mean, humans generally, especially humans who do not work with dogs professionally and have maybe never had a dog before. They're not going to be able to to actually do effectively what I'm describing, you know? So yeah, tools can be helpful. I think the important thing with tools is that um, there's some that I don't like, but there's, and then there's a, a handful of other ones that I do find to be effective, but it just depends on the dog, you know? So I think what's important is that as a trainer that you're open to and aware of sort of all the options. And then after working with a dog, an individual dog, kind of having a sense for, well, this dog I think would do best on this type of tool or, oh, this dog really needs, you know, this type of tool. And then just trying different things and finding out. And the biggest tool being yourself. Right. In your body. And that, and in order for that to be effective, then you have to have a relationship with the dog. And that's important. 
So if you're going to really try to communicate with a dog, um, like especially in corrections, if you're going to try to set a boundary and use your body, that it kind of have to know know the dog. And it's kind of true with people too. Like you don't go around correcting people you've never met. It'd be rude. It would be very rude. Right. <laughs> At the same time, you don't go around and jump on people and and invade their space if you don't know them either. So what if a dog does that to a person? Then that dog needs a boundary set. And so, you know, there's all sorts of different... I mean, this we could go off into all different types of tangents. But to answer your question, um, as far as tools go, I think it's important to know the dog as an individual and to figure out what works best for that dog. Um, uh, as far as tools, we generally think of what we clip the leash to. And in all cases, it's important, whatever tool you're using, that you're using that specific tool properly and that you know how to use that tool. Um, and that's super important. And um, and because they can be used improperly, for sure. And then it's it can cause physical damage or it can just not be effective. So, like gentle leaders, for example. So the head, head collars. Yes. Um, those are, those can be really great. Um, a lot of dogs don't really like them or it takes them something to get used, you know, takes them some getting used to. I haven't worked too much with them myself, but I don't really have any problems with them. But what I do have a problem with is that if a dog is lunging on leash and you put one of those head collars on and they lunge and hit the end of the leash, um, it's going to jerk their neck to the side and potentially cause whiplash or damage to their vertebrae. But if used properly, they can be great. Yes. Front clipping harnesses. Not really a big fan of those. I feel like they there's a lot of um, material that's in the way of the, the shoulder joints. There's all that harness. Uh, the the um, intersection of the straps are over the shoulder joint. And then you clip it in the front, and then if the dog pulls, then it's tweaking their shoulders to one side. Mm. And I feel like that would be uncomfortable and annoying. And uh, having all of that sort of hardware around the shoulder joint, I just... And I rarely hear that they work well, and that may be because I tend to work with more difficult dogs. I have heard people say that they've worked very well. Mm. Um, if you're using a front clipping harness, you need to make sure that the top strap over the shoulders is at the shortest setting possible. And I see those fitted improperly, and then there's all this stuff just chafing the dog's shoulders and knocking around. And I just, I'm, I think, I don't know if I'm projecting, but I just feel like that would be really annoying if I had to wear that. <laughs> Sounds yeah. annoying. Yeah. So... You know, and there's all different types of collars and training collars. I don't like choke chains. Mm. Um, I don't mind prong collars if they're used properly. They look medieval, but they're actually, I mean, not that bad, and dogs don't tend to mind them. But they're not used. They have to be used. I mean, they can really easily be used improperly, and that's kind of the danger with them. Or, you know, you don't use them to correct aggressive behavior because it can just add fuel to the fire, so to speak, make a dog more aggressive. That and they really need to be fitted properly. Yeah, but as far as dangerous goes, those don't those don't to me feel like they're very dangerous. Although they look really intense, and you don't want to put that on the wrong dog. I mean, that's the thing. It's like back to what I said: knowing the individual. 
Yeah, I actually used the prong collar training my husky when he was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. And it actually, because of his thick fur, it actually worked really well. Mm-hmm. But I had to make sure it was fitted yep. correctly and yep. stuff. And he, as soon as I put it on after the first time, he just stopped pulling, period. Yeah. Because he just, he learned quick. Yeah. And so. Nice. Yeah. Um, And they're, yeah, I mean, they're, and I think too what's important is that whoever you're working with, because you're not just working with dogs, you're working with people, mm-hmm. but that everybody feels really comfortable with what tool you're using. And, you know, I've worked with clients who um, just are set on this tool or, or, or um, opposed to the, to this tool. And it's like, okay, well let's do these things then to, to try to get where we need to go. Cause there's certainly not one right way. There's some ineffective things to do for sure generally, but um, I think it's good to be really versed in all the tools available and then choose the one that feels the best for the individual that you're working with. So it's a great, great question. And I told you time would fly. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be doing some more Q&A with Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of, what's your business name? Pet Coach to the Rescue. Pet Coach to the Rescue. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice, jetcityanimalclinic.com. Hey, dog show fans, does something stink in your home or car? Pure Air is a powerful odor eliminator that is the only natural food-grade product in its category. It works on bedding, kennels, litter boxes, urine, vomit, poop, even skunk spray. You know, all the fun smells our pets bring into our home. It's so non-toxic that you can literally eat it, a requirement for our home and our dogs. Spray pure air on anything you can put water on and let your nose watch the odor disappear. Ask for pure air in stores that specialize in natural, non-toxic products for home. Or visit DogRadioShow.com for a link to their website. I'm Julie Forbes, your host of The Dog Show. Pure air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. 
the new mainstream of talk radio. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Body language. Body language. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. A very sexy body language song, Eric. Nice. <laughs> Queen. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Good. They had electro pop side to them. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Well, we're back with Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of Pet Coach to the Rescue, a brand spanking new training business up in Everett. And um, Shauna's here. Shauna uh, reached out to me through a mutual friend um, to ask some questions about training and working with dogs. And I invited her to ask them on the show. And she was game. So here she is. Welcome back, Shauna. Thank you. So your first question that I answered in the first segment was, what is my favorite training tool and why? And I sort of don't have one other than my body. Um, But using, um, you know, being versed in everything that's available and um, choosing based off of the dog as an individual rather than having a favorite tool that you try to use on every dog. And if you've missed um, any part of this episode or any of our 220 or so that are archived online, you can listen to them all on dogradioshow.com. And you can also download us for free on iTunes as a free audio podcast as well. So, Shauna, what's your next question? My next question is actually about the nutrition, because you're always talking about Natural Pet Pantry, and that's really got my curiosity up. And actually, with my two senior boys that I have at home, um, I'm having to find that I'm cooking more for them to keep their appetites going and stuff. So with dealing with, for the last 20 years, people and nutrition and supplements, I'm wondering how that has helped you in your business, Mm -hmm. knowing that about dogs. Yeah, it's a great question. And um, people are often sort of initially surprised, but then when they think about it for just a minute or so, it was like, oh, well, that totally makes sense. Um, Nutrition is the most important, you know, the most, if not one of the most important factors to health, which... Is, and it's not, as you know, having been in the human nutrition and supplement field, it's not something that's really talked about a lot with a lot of doctors, you know, or in the medical. I mean, it's like, you know, medication to, to treat symptoms or to chase symptoms that in, in some situations, the symptoms are a result of nutrition mm-hmm. or an allergy or whatever it might be. And if you take care of that, then you actually don't need the medication or whatever it may be to treat the symptom. Well, for dogs, I mean, that is true for dogs as well. And um, I'm a huge fan of of raw food, um, of real food. Um, cooked, if you want to cook it, fine. It's But it's not brown pellets, mm. you know? Right. Even some of these great dry foods, you know, relatively. There's some really, most of them to me are very scary in what they put in food and that it's actually legal. (laughs) Um, But there are some good ones out there. But there's, you know, even the ones that have higher quality ingredients, they're processed so highly that the nutrition, you know, the actual nutrients are altered, you know, 
the molecular structure is altered in some ways, and nutrition is chemistry, essentially, chemical reactions. So when you're changing the molecular structure, you're changing how it reacts with something that expecting something to look a certain way or fit in a certain way. And so it's really affecting nutrition like on a on truly the way that it's it functions and, you know, when we're talking like on a cellular level. And then we're also talking about how it can impact dogs and how it can make them react. And if you're not feeling well, how's your mood? That's typically pretty crappy. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel well. You're not up for it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working with behavior and evaluating a dog's behavior, if they are um, itching like crazy or having chronic rashes or if they are super, super gassy mm. or having chronic diarrhea or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, that can't be that can't be um, helping their behavior. Right. It can, it's irritating. Oh, absolutely. And it can make them less tolerant. Um, so in it's not, in most cases, not the number one cause of a behavioral problem, but it can certainly contribute. And I have seen changing a dog's food from a processed kibble, especially like low quality, to like a raw food diet or cooked food diet, like natural pet pantry. I've seen that have a significant effect on aggression with no train before any training had started. Oh wow. Yeah. It didn't make it go away, but it decreased it, you know, it knocked it down. And so if I'm coming in as someone who works with training and behavior, trying to do what I know to do to work with those types of behavior, if I've got something that's making that behavior maybe thirty percent worse because it's the dog is agitated. I mean, you know, for success, it's not going to be helping anybody, especially not the dog. So understanding how health and how you feel impacts behavior, energy level, you know, and I've seen switching dogs and off of processed food like older dogs. I've seen it breathe life back into them where they're sleeping through the night and, you know, their eyes are clearer and, you know, they're it's just they totally transform. And so do people. Yes. You know, <laughs> so it's just amazing. Um, and the thing with the pet food industry is that, I mean, it exists fundamentally to make money off of the waste of the human food industry. So the regulation is basically, I mean, there's very little regulation for, as far as what the companies can say. And you should hear my household whenever a big name pet food advertisement comes on the air. <laughs> I can only imagine. I start booing <laughs> and, um, you know, making comments about that statement is not regulated because I know what's in that food and it's crap. Well, it's marketing. It's all marketing. And they can do whatever they want for marketing. They can say whatever yep. they want. And they can print pretty much whatever they want on the bag, too. Yes. In bold print on the front, and many people don't read the ingredients. And even people who do read the ingredients, how are you supposed to know what's what? So, so it's. And then the other thing that you asked me is is how did I learn about yes nutrition? And I learned about the science of nutrition in my, through my degree. Okay. In animal science from the University of Vermont, I did a um, sort of an unofficial minor in nutrition because I was just really interested in it. Blows me away how the digestive tract works. I mean, physiology in general blows me away, but 
digestion in particular. It's so fascinating to me. So I really got into the science of it, which was great because then when I moved out here from um, New England in 2001 and I started it was actually before I started and during my apprentice program at the Academy of Canine Behavior up in Bothell, I worked at all the best pet care. Um, and they that's really where I got my start in kind of getting um, clued into the industry and learning about raw food and, um, and, and kibbles and the differences between kibbles and canned foods and processing and and all that stuff, that was really where it, where I got that start. And then it just was like, wow. And I just kept at it. And I've since, you know, I've read books. Pet Food Politics by Marion Nestle is a very fascinating book about the pet food recalls in 2007. Mm-hmm. Kind of behind the scenes. Really interesting. I Dr. Michael Fox, who's going to be back on the show. He wrote a book called Not Fit for a Dog, The Truth About Manufactured Dog and Cat Food. Excellent book. And... um that interview was back in November of uh, 09. Um, you can archive that one. And he talks specifically in that interview about the relationship between prescription diet companies and vets. Um, there's just a lot in general. I'm still learning. That's awesome. Have you heard of this conference that's coming up? Yes, I am so excited. I am freaking out. Dr. Fox is going to be here in person. Mark Beckhoff, who wrote The Emotional Lives of Animals. Uh, Raymond Coppinger, who's done a lot of work on evolution. Alexander Horowitz and other people are all coming together in Redmond for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. End of June, June 28th, 29th, and 30th. CanineScience.info is the website for that. And um, you've got to go. If you're in the area or if you can come to the area, you've got to go to this. It's amazing. Um, so that's nutrition. Yeah. And uh, it is important for sure. And again, every dog is different as an individual. So, uh, you know, not just like, oh, every dog does great on this one food, this one formula, um, knowing what proteins, you know, and that's one thing that's great about Natural Pet Pantry is that they have a whole bunch of different proteins that you can choose from. So, if a dog doesn't do well on poultry, they have red meat options. If a dog really needs a novel protein, they have rabbit, you know. So lots of options there as well. And then they have both their raw food and their cooked stews for dogs that maybe can't tolerate raw food. So, All right, we're going to take a quick break again, and we'll be back shortly with Shauna Gallagher. She's going to be asking me more questions about dog training and behavior. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog. 
thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist www.sensitivedog.com Tell your friends, the place to be is Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Would be good Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And we're back with Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of Pet Coach to the Rescue. She's a relatively new trainer up in the Everett area, doing private lessons. Uh, how do people find you, Shauna? Right now, I just have a Facebook page. Okay. Mm. Pet Coach to the Rescue? Pet Coach to the Rescue, yes. All right, and your contact information is on there? Correct. And the Dog Show has a Facebook page as well, so be sure when you're on Facebook to become a fan of the Dog Show with Julie Forbes and uh, be a part of the conversation in between our shows. So, you have a doozy of a next question. I do. In my process of starting my business, i um, done a lot of research, looked up other trainers to see how they promote themselves and stuff. And I'm finding that a lot of them will claim completely positive only training or balanced training or some other combination. And I'm just wondering, it just seems like there's a lot of controversy over it and kind of sp- sparks are flying and stuff. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. It's a great question. Yeah. And um, there is definitely, I'd say this is probably the place where there's the most disagreement within the community of trainers. Um, For some, I mean, and especially for some people who feel very strongly towards one end of the spectrum. And um, what I said in the what I sort of spoke to in the first segment of this interview was um, when you asked me about tools. Yes. And I talked about how, well, I, I sort of look at how dogs communicate with each other. Because if I, you know, speaking their language and not my language or, or my um, education, formal education but to really just, um, above anything else, understand how dogs communicate naturally and try to communicate with them in a way that's in line with their first language. And dogs correct each other. Yes, they do. And nature provides consequences. And to say that you can never communicate to a dog that they've done something that you don't want them to do, I think is insulting to dogs. You know, yes, I'm a big fan of actually like the no reward marker, and just letting them know and they watching them rethink what they're what I'm wanted them to do mm-hmm. and stuff, and then watch the light bulb come on. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Dogs do not get enough credit in general, even among trainers. It's amazing for their ability to really think through things and process requests and just have awareness of what's going on. Um. I'm balanced. I mean, I consider myself, I also think it's not fair because I consider myself a positive trainer because dogs love working with me. But it doesn't mean I don't give corrections either. 
You know, you got to be able to communicate no. Yes. Not just ignore it and create more frustration. You know how many people over the years have told me that they've tried turning away on a dog that's jumped on them and it just, they just get scratched? Or their child gets knocked over because a trainer told them to stand like a tree when a dog is jumping all over them? It's yeah. too passive. The dog is just like, where are you? Interact with me. Yeah, try doing that in a shelter environment when you're trying to get the dog out of their little room yeah. and they're just so pent up and got so much energy and they want to get out because they got to go to the bathroom. And yeah. yeah, every dog is different. And I'm not saying that you go and you do these, you know, super harsh methods and scare the dog and hurt the dog. I mean, that's the other end of the spectrum. And and any extreme, pretty much generally speaking, is really missing missing a lot in the conversation. And so I'm balanced. And again, I model how I communicate with dogs after how they communicate with each other. And every dog is different. Some dogs are super timid and uh, shy and just timid, timid, timid. And you don't do much correcting with dogs like that. And when you do, it is super under the radar because you can make them shut down. Yes. Or you just don't correct them at all. I mean, I've worked with dogs that lived in a puppy mill for five years and were just almost practically comatose. They were so freaked out, frozen. So patience is important as well. Um, Some dogs are the opposite. They're going to bite your sleeve and tear your jacket and maybe hurt your, your skin and knock somebody over. And they've never, you know, they're frustrated. They're pent up. And there's... um. You know, there's creative ways to provide consequences and give corrections without doing anything to the dog even. Um, I worked with a, um, and am working with this um, two-year-old pit bull that some clients of mine adopted from a shelter, and he had been in shelters his whole life, pretty much. And he was so desperate for interaction So he'd be in his kennel and he would be fine. He would sit in his kennel because he had lived in a kennel Mm -hmm. and he would sit in his kennel and sleep. And then when they let him out of the kennel, he was practically on their back. And you can't give a correction to a dog like that because they're so frustrated, pent up and desperate for interaction that it won't work. So you have to find creative ways to, first of all, First of all, make sure that you're letting the dog know what you want and praising the heck out of him pretty much constantly for keeping those paws on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then for him, what I did was, and I, I spoke, I talked about this either last week or the week before. I mentioned this in a different context, but this is brilliant. It's from John Rogerson, who's really a brilliant guy. Check him out. He's British. John Rogerson, I went to an aggression seminar that he put on in Olympia uh, about mm, a year and a half ago. It was a three-day seminar. So when Dexter, this pit, jumped all over me desperately, nothing that I did stopped the behavior. And I didn't try giving him any sort of corrections, but I tried just kind of bumping him off with my body and then praising him for keeping up. And he was just so out of his mind, desperate from years of living in a kennel. But the what is the one thing that he wants? 
He wants your attention. Yeah, so what's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> you pushing him and bumping him and... No. No? What, if you ask him, what's the worst thing that can happen? Walk away. Exactly. So I left. Abruptly. Left the room, shut the door. And he just was like, crap. And then I came, waited outside, came back in. And immediately, as soon as I came back in, praised him, good off, good off. And then if he offered me a sit, good sit, good sit, good sit, good off. And just like, all right, if what you want is interaction, I'm going to give it to you full on for what I like. And then as soon as he jumped up again, bam, I'm gone. And his uh, owners were standing in the room and they were just like, he was just like, uh, where'd you go? just like frozen <laughs> because it made him think about what he did that caused it and that's what a correction should do it should engage a dog's brain and make them think about what they did but if I just ignored him tried to ignore the behavior um, you know reinforcing what you want is very powerful very very powerful but praise is not where people get um, up in arms and in arguments about like you've said, you've even been on like chat groups and stuff mm -hmm. and you've seen people just kind of going at it. Oh my, yeah. And that's sort of interesting to me. I think it's ironic that, you know, people who work with dogs and potentially talk a lot about um, how to educate and be respectful and be calm and control and confident and all this stuff have a hard time carrying on a respectful conversation with other humans. And especially about something that's difficult. I mean, I feel I have strong opinions about this, absolutely. But I'm not going to say offensive things to other people necessarily, unless they're being just flat out abusive. But, I, you know, when do I really enter, enter, encounter people like that? Not very often. That's good. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, I mean, the whole positive, the, it's the all, the all positive. I mean, for a dog that's easy, that's like service, you know, dogs that were bred to be service dogs or a dog that's just super easy. Yeah, you can get away with just telling them what you like and they'll be like, awesome, I'll just keep doing that and we're cool. But that's not most dogs. And it's certainly not the dogs that I tend to work with. And it's not the dogs people need help with. Mm, that's true. Really. I mean, people want to get their puppies trained and stuff, but when you're dealing with behaviors, aggression and anxiety... You got to be more engaging than just ignore the undesirable behavior. And it just isn't. It's sort of insulting to dogs, I think. Like, they can't handle just being corrected in a way that's, you know, healthy and fair. Boundaries are healthy. And dogs correct each other. <laughs> you know, we, we can't do that because that's not natural for us. But, you know, it's a really interesting conversation. And this was a talk that I gave at the Northwest Women's Show a few months ago through the station was about setting boundaries with nonverbal communication as a human. Mm -hmm. well, what does that look like? And then that comes back to a lot of that about presence and being aware of the quality of energy that we are generating. Because it's not about just going through motions. It's got to be something behind it, you know? Yes. So it's a really great question. And it's very controversial. And I think that um, I think balanced is good. Um, if if you're out there and you're a pet owner and you're looking for a trainer, um, what I would recommend is that you work with a trainer who speaks to being balanced 
and who also speaks to looking at every dog as an individual, that is the most important thing. Every dog is different. And you have to first get to know the dog before you can work with them. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more more questions from Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of Pet Coach to the Rescue up in Everett. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. Pure Air's powerful formula lets you eliminate pet odors safely. It's strong enough to effectively get rid of smells like urine, plus stronger odors like those that can be caused by illness. Pure Air is safe enough to spray directly onto people, animals, or use in the bath or laundry. Pure Air is perfect for dealing with dire situations, refreshing your dog between baths, or just before company comes. Pure Air is the most effective product you can buy to remove stinky pet odors safely. Find it at stores like Mud Bay, McClendon's, and Natural Pet Pantry, or visit their website, pureair.com. That's pure, A-Y-R-E, dot com. I'm Julie Forbes, host of The Dog Show. Pure Air is the only odor eliminator you'll find in my home. You'll love it. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist, and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage on Vashon Island, we cover the world of animals. This week, November 8th, it's a Talk With Your Animals Sunday with gifted animal communicator, medium, and Reiki master Darcy Pariso. Darcy can help you talk with or learn about your animal friends or help you connect with animal or human loved ones on the other side. Plan to give us a call on Martha Norwalk's Animal World Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. Get your smile on with Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. One of my favorite songs. Who is that, Eric? John Hyatt. Nice. We're back with Shauna Gallagher, who's the owner of Pet Coach to the Rescue up in Everett, Washington. Shauna is a new trainer and she reached out to me and um, asked if she could ask me some questions. Uh, we know each other through a mutual friend who suggested she get in touch with me. And I said, want to come on the show and ask me your questions on the show? That would be a great show. 
and she was game. So thank you, Shauna, for being here and uh, just coming on the radio. Um, so we've um, had you've had some great questions. Um, talked about training tools. Talked about nutrition. Talked about um, positive only trainers versus balanced trainers. What I thought about that. If you've missed any part of this interview. You can find it archived on our website along with all of our other episodes on dogradioshow.com and also as a free podcast on iTunes. So you just go to the audio podcast section on iTunes and search for The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And also be sure to find us on Facebook as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And our website again is dogradioshow.com. And you can also find Shauna's page on Facebook, Pet Coach to the Rescue. So uh, in this last segment... Shauna, what is your last question for today? My last question is actually with my research of looking up other trainers and finding out how they promote themselves is I've noticed they've listed themselves kind of differently on what they do. One is um, they classify themselves as actually a dog trainer Mm -hmm. and other people classify themselves as a dog behavior, behaviorist type. I've seen both words and stuff. And I'm just wondering what makes one... Mm-hmm. and not the other one or both mm-hmm. and stuff. On Yeah, it's a great question. Training is education. So it would be like, this is what sit means. And then you can start within the context of training. So that's the first step, acquisition. So the dog has to learn the word. Mm-hmm. This is what sit means. You get them in the sit, often with a lure, and then... As soon as they sit, good sit, good sit, good sit. Or if you're using a clicker, mm-hmm. I don't use clickers, but you, you know, whatever you do, you mark. So I just use good, good sit, good sit, good sit. Maybe give them a treat, and then okay, and then they stand up, and then get them back in the sit. Good sit, good sit, good sit. And the, you know, after several repetitions, the dog figures out, oh, okay, that means sit. Well, then you get into now do it because I said so, or even when you're distracted. And so training, the education, is a place for people to practice their dynamic with the dog, the relationship dynamic, because that's where leadership comes in. Mm. Who are you to tell me? Or I don't really want to do this right now. Well, I'm kind of asking you to do it, and you kind of have to do it. Well, why? So that's where we get into an opportunity for people to use the context of training to work on the relationship dynamic. Like if there's no leadership in place, it can be a way for people to get a feel for what that feels like, because leadership essentially is control. But how do you do that in a way without being unpleasant? You know, what's true power? How do you find your power? How do you, you know, all that stuff. And again, every dog is different. So, so that's training. Behavior is more about how dogs feel about things. And then acting accordingly. Are they afraid? Are they frustrated? Are they pent up? Are they, is there something medical going on that could be impacting behavior? Um, is the, does the dog have pain in their hips? And so that's why, they're, that's why they snap at people when they touch their hind end. I mean, so there's behavior is way more um, sort of involved when you're working with behavior um, And it really takes understanding where the dog as an individual is coming from and why they are acting the way that they are. 
Why are they acting the way that they are? So you first need to be able to assess that effectively and identify, is this aggression coming from fear or frustration? Or is it just working for the dog? Because <laughs> dogs use aggression naturally. I mean, aggression itself is not a bad thing. It's how they set boundaries. Mm-hmm. But we don't really ever want to see it towards people. And when dogs do use aggression, we want to see that they're using it appropriately and that they're in control of themselves. But that's how they set boundaries. Snapping and growling and knock it off. Mm -hmm. So behavior is more like, this is what my dog is doing. And then we're assessing, why is the dog doing it? And then we might use training to help with the behavior or to help put structure in place. Maybe the dog's behavior is happening because they don't know what to do with themselves in this situation and they're excited and so they're just flying around based off of impulse and instinct and we need to engage the brain. Well, we might use training. Training's like the toolbox. Behavior's getting more into the dog's experience, how they're feeling, more into the relationship, what's going on in the environment, looking at health, you know, food, anything medical is the dog hypothyroid because that can cause behavioral problems Um, is the dog reacting to a flea medication is the you know all sorts of stuff does that answer your question yes it does so for people who train do a dog trainer is not necessarily equipped to work with behavior there's less people who work with behavior than there are people who train dogs training dogs is For me, for what I do, because I do a lot of behavior work with like kind of intense behaviors, you know, aggression, (laughs) anxiety. Um, Training for me is easy. That's like it's it's easy in the sense that it's straightforward. You just have to know dogs and know them as individuals. And um, I mean, maybe that's just a function of experience and having worked with so many dogs at this point. But behavior is where it's still for me. I'm going in fresh, feeling my way through every behavior consultation and just getting present to that dog as an individual. And sometimes it takes me a a little bit, usually by the end of the first session, but it'll take me some prodding and kind of, hmm, okay, well, what about this? What about this? To really understand first and foremost where the dog is coming from. What's the dog's experience? If you were to ask the dog, why are they doing what they're doing? Because they usually have a reason if you ask them. Okay, Um, Shauna, I told you the time would fly, (laughs) and it totally did. And thank you so much uh, for being here today, and I look forward to staying connected with you on your journey. Best of luck to you. Uh, Pet Coach to the Rescue up in Everett. You can find her on Facebook. All of her contact info is on there. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes on Alternative Talk 1150. 